So this is week two of 26 weeks of awareness. Week two, we're talking about arising awareness of attachments. I am your host, Emily Strunk, and this is not only a journey of 26 weeks of your uh, awakening and awareness, but I am also sharing with you parts of my journey as I discovered awareness of attachments and learning about the Four Noble Truths within Buddhism, which centers around suffering and understanding suffering and the causes of suffering. So my beginning understanding of this journey into spirituality missed the concept of attachments. I was really focused on meditation. And as I was learning meditation and the way of the Bodhisattva and listening to the teachings of Yogananda, I was completely engulfed in my attachments, clinging to all my expectations and desires and pleasure-seeking behavior. And that was the beginning for me. And, and I assume it is also the beginning for others. Our world that we're in is kind of revolving around all of our pleasure-seeking principles, and that is where we find happiness and contentment. This made my beginning much longer, because I spent a lot of time increasing my own suffering by sticking to idealism and life expectations. In my Christian upbringing, I learned the phrase, let go and let God. This is a good starting point. But I still clung to the answer that was to come, the outcome of my prayer, the resolution. I could never fully embrace that this present moment was just fine as it is. The freedom from suffering that came when I let go of expectations from my storyline or fear of the future and just sat in the moment was profound. At first, this only came in flashes, brief little trickles or brief moments of time where I could actually exhale and feel myself let go of everything I held fast to and tried to control. But those instances where I caught a glimpse of what Pema Chodron talks about in the places that scare you, which is a fantastic book and I highly recommend, set me on a forward motion with continual release from suffering. I can look back and see myself walking through my hectic routine, talking in little breaths of air for survival, but never fully exhaling. I did this for over a decade and felt like I would burst if something did not give. No measure of relief I sought in rest, relaxation techniques, worked to alleviate the buildup of pressure. At times I knew I was bound to explode like any pressure cooker without a release valve. The crazy thing is, the methods I used for pressure release became methods of pleasure-seeking. They increased my attachments and therefore increased my suffering. I was walking backwards. The more success I had at my firm, the more pressure I felt, the more success I needed. 
The more money I made, the more I spent, on me and on others, and so the more I needed. The more alcohol I drank, the more anxiety I had, and the more alcohol I needed. The more attention I got from service work or helping others, the more service work I did. The more exhausted I became, but still the more attention and accolades I needed. The more love and attention I received from my husband, the more I needed. The more time I spent away from my children trying to make money, become successful, be charitable, the more guilt I felt, and again, the more I suffered. For some reason, the human mind is a little disconnected from the human soul. So when the mind is left to alleviate suffering, it goes to pleasure-seeking. Most often this is associated with instant gratification and forms of escape. Suffering comes from clinging to attachment. These are a variety of temporary fulfillments such as substance abuse, thrill-seeking, attention-seeking, sensual pleasures like food or sex, material possessions, relationship security, career success, money, TV shows, movies, video games, exercise, pampering, on and on and on. All of these aforementioned items are causes for suffering. And they are temporary. They are an illusion. And they never fulfill our soul's needs. But our human mind associates temporary pleasures with alleviating suffering. Why do temporary pleasures lead to suffering? The chase for the elusive fix of our woes never ends. When we have money, we spend more money. We have problems with money. And there never is an end to the quest for more money. Only death. Substance abuse is the easiest to see. Being high on or an altered state caused by substances gives us a temporary relief. But the downside is a terrible hangover, lingering depression, poor decision-making, and addiction. Seeking attention or the need for constant love and companionship gives us short periods of comfort in the company of others. But we can make terrible decisions in order to get the attention of someone. When we are not receiving that attention, when we are all alone, we fall into despair, longing for the next time that someone will be with us and give us the pleasure and security of acceptance. Temporary pleasure-seeking leads to habits in pleasure-seeking and addiction or obsession. And this is where we hold on so tight to something or someone The thought of letting go is enough pain to put us into a complete tailspin or breakdown. We see this all the time with adrenaline junkies, video gamers, addicts, workaholics, or health fanatics. Attachments become so strong, our lives become centered around feeding them and provoking them. Or protecting them. For me... My obsessions grew from habits caused by low self-esteem and the need for approval and affection. My addiction to money and success directly related to the attention and accolades I received from being successful. Though in my mind I always felt like it was a facade. 
I always told myself that if people only knew what a failure I really am, how I have blown it so many times on so many things, they would never accept me. So I strived for more and more approval, more and more achievements, more and more responsibility, more and more work in philanthropy. Ironically, I no longer require this regularly. As I write this and think about this, I'm sitting in federal prison camp. But it took the devastating experience of having my career, my money, my identity, and my reputation taken away from me to begin to value who I really am without all those things. It took the deep suffering of loss without the continued cycle of replacement and the realization of not having control over my circumstances for me to realize that facade wasn't me. The facade was what I attached my wagon to. The facade was the expectations I had for myself in order to be valuable and accepted by my community. When it all vanished, so did the suffering and anxiety I had carried with me, associated with the fear of losing these worldly attachments. I could finally breathe. Of course, the pathway is an entire lifetime. And there are always new sufferings to investigate. As you can imagine, the fast thrust into groundlessness uncovers our deepest insecurities. Once I no longer could chase money, success, and reputation, I had to grieve for some time and feel the agony of losing my perceived reality. Then, coming to terms with new paradigms and circumstances brought the possibility of developing new attachments to bolster my security. It's a good thing I was familiar with the practice as I embarked on my journey into a new perspective. I began to see attachments and clinging as they arose in my mind. Humanity is created with a whole, an emptiness. Each being of our race spends many years and massive amounts of energy creating things, pastimes, relationships, identities, and successes to fill this whole. We will cling to anything that offers short bursts of satisfaction, comfort, and pleasure. But all these things are temporary, and therefore, they are, as Anjan Cha calls, the snake. No matter where we grab hold of the snake, we are always in danger of its bite. Every pleasure, every attachment, all that we cling to has a downside or a disappointment. No matter how close to the tail we grab the snake, the head can circle round and bite us in an instant. Fun activities, entertainment, travel, and leisure are forms of relaxation, pampering ourselves and escapism. Now, are they always bad? Should we never do these things? That's not the idea here. It's only that we don't want to be attached to these things. We should be able to take them or leave them, and either way it's no big deal. Obsessing about the next trip or vacation, focusing on spa dates or massages, is the tail of a snake waiting for the head to strike out. What happens if our trip gets canceled? 
How do we feel if we don't have the money to travel any longer? Or if our passport is revoked, what then? Is there grief and suffering? When we enter into adulthood and begin to think about our career, many evaluate what they want to become based on societal expectations, prestige, and money. How many choose their career based on making life better, service to others, or contributing to the world's betterment? Very few focus outside job titles and salary level. The majority of us accept the first job we can that will pay the bills and put our, ideal, put our ideals to the side. As we move up in our career, we are pleased with increased salary, increased position, job amenities and perks, as well as new titles of importance and increased responsibilities. The more we get, the more we have to lose. The more attached we become to our increasing status, material wealth, and comfort, the more we cling to this security and pleasure. The stress and anxiety come with any circumstance that shakes the security of our comforts. If our employer begins laying off employees, we begin to fear the future implications that may have for all our built-up pleasures. The ground becomes unstable. But the truth is, the ground is always unstable. We just refuse to see the world as it really is, temporary and always changing. Once we come to terms with the prospect of change and uncertainty, and we are able to let go of our material world, identity, and expectations, our mind begins to relax, and we begin to find comfort in just what is in this moment and nothing more. One of the most difficult attachments for me is family and close relationships. This one may take many lifetimes for my soul to master. The idea of letting go of all I cling to and wanting to love, protect, help, encourage, guide, and be involved with those who are close to me is a hard, hard concept. I see myself daily clinging to my family relationships. As I see my attachments arise, I have to talk to my mind about letting go. I have to actually visualize myself clinging to the person and then gently letting go. I can also feel lonely and especially here, forgotten at times. This is really a fear and not a reality for me. So I must visualize myself again, letting go. Letting go of the fear of being alone and the fear of being unworthy of love. I must bring myself to this present moment and being okay with it, realize my fear of the future and my tight hold on any relationship I have. The practice of being free from attachments is a lifetime practice. We never perfect it. Anjan Chah says, the state or place of enlightenment is being totally free of all attachments of this world, samsara, and therefore free from all suffering as well. I sure get glimpses of total peace in those moments of exhaling and letting go of something I cling to. It's like a whoosh 
of air into my soul. The pathway is a remarkable walk with unlimited opportunities for continued growth and peace. So now, in week two, arising awareness of attachments, we'll talk about our exercises for contemplation. Over your first week of realizing attachments, which is the last podcast, if you listen to it, what were some of those attachments that you observed? Do you have attachments in different areas such as material, identity, expectations, or people? Or others? What are these attachments and how do they differ? What fears arise if you imagine no longer having these things in your life? Think of each one specifically and try to pinpoint the feeling that you get inside if that goes away. If you imagine that particular attachment leaving your life. For instance, your job, your title in your career. What if you no longer had that? What if that was no longer associated with you and who you are and how people know you? What would that do to you? Your family members, your attachments to your family members. What if those family members were all of a sudden gone? You no longer had them. What would that do to you? How would you feel? Your house, your material possessions, anything that you find yourself really clinging to as this is me, this is my life. Imagine those things for a moment going poof. What fears arise? Is there any one thing, or maybe a couple, that you find yourself clinging to, of these things that I just kind of walked through and and brought up in your mind. What are some things that you feel stress about this week, and why? Try to go down beneath why I feel stressed about that. Um, A deadline, um, a family member, a health crisis, whatever it may be. Why do I feel stressed about that? And are there areas in your life that you feel unstable or out of control? And let's not talk about the why. Let's just mention what they are. What are these areas that are shaky, unstable, uncertain, where you feel out of control? And how do you cope with change? What are any major change changes that you've had in the last few years and how did you handle it what did it do to your daily life your emotions your activity level how you felt do you have any personal relationships that are stressful and what makes them stressful 
And finally, how often did you meditate this week? What were your experiences like? Remember that we talked about meditation becoming part of our daily life where you're actually meditating once in the morning and once in the evening for a minimum of five minutes, and that's where we start our practice. Uh, Unless you're doing guided meditation, meditation is something that's pretty difficult because we judge ourselves, because we get frustrated with our inability to sit still, and we have an expectation of how meditation should be and how it should make us feel. Throw those out the window. Again, that's an expectation or an attachment. And so when we're not meeting up to that expectation, then meditation isn't for me. It's not something I can do. I know other people are doing meditation and they say that it's effective, but meditation isn't for me. I can't do it. My brain just doesn't uh, sit quietly. I I just can't do it. Meditation is not about perfection. Meditation does not happen instantly, nor do the benefits of it happen instantly. However, you will start noticing little glimpses of those benefits, and you will start feeling the serene calmness that enters you shortly. And then over time, when you look backwards, you'll be able to see how meditation has actually changed you and your life and how you deal with day-to-day circumstances. So I encourage you to enter a meditation practice where you're at least meditating five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. And then as time goes on, you increase that. So after you've been practicing for a month or two, increase that to 10 or 15 minutes that you sit quietly twice a day, in the morning when you wake up and in the evening before you go to bed. After a year of practicing mindfulness meditation, you may be comfortable in sitting for 30 minutes to 45 minutes, but you're not going to be perfect. Meditation is a long practice. Perfection in meditation does not come soon, but the benefits of meditation do. So I encourage you to start training your brain to meditate five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. And you can listen to one of my other podcasts on beginning instruction for meditators, as well as some other guided meditations um, that I provide. So thank you for joining me in week two in 26 weeks of awakening. And this was a rising awareness of attachments. I hope to see you next week for week three, which is uncertainty.